show. You are once again here with Rick and mine. <laughs> Man, Lyle and Lawson are going to be in so much trouble with their dogs, so much time off. I mean, Lawson is so sick. He is, he is. Yeah. Now 100% confirmed. He has the virus, yeah. he does. Yeah, he is positive that he is positive. <laughs> <laughs> Poor sod. He was actually sending me voice messages last night oh. to show me how deep the um, the virus had made his voice. And I was like, man, what a pity he couldn't do radio with that voice. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's even deeper than yeah. his sick voice. <laughs> I don't have the virus yet. <laughs> Let's hope we never get it. Yeah, exactly. Although that is quite unlikely by the seams of oh, things. Oh, yeah. One wonders. Yeah. Well, Rick, what are you grateful for this morning? Oh, just the little things. Uh, yeah. Little things turn into big things. And I think if we let God work with us with the little things... He's got so much up his celestial sleeve that he wants that he wants to do for us and us to work for him, uh, not for merit, just because he loves us and we love him. So I'm thankful for the little things, and um, they just grow into different things, and um, that's what I'm thankful for. And there's so many little things. Amen. I like that celestial sleeve. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. Speaking of sleeves, I'm grateful. <laughs> Yesterday I went on a massive shopping spree. Oh. I don't know what came over me. I bought several things with sleeves and without sleeves. And <laughs> I had a great Australia Day. I had it in the air conditioning at the shopping centre. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. I had. A, I had a really fun day. I was chatting with friends, and I did maybe buy a little too much. That went over the top. Yeah, yeah. Australia Day sales, you know. <laughs> but I, it's, I haven't done that in a long time, so I feel like I was due. Is it the credit card squeeze? No. <laughs> No, I don't even know what that is. I don't have a credit card. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> no, I have a debit card. For that reason, yeah, exactly. I can't, can't yeah. restrain myself yeah. with it. Well, some folk card. have a credit card squeeze and it's like Australia Day every day. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I was pretty stoked. Um, yeah, I had a great time. Roller skating. I got some roller skates. Do you roller skate? I used to. I'm about to learn. Oh. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. You're listening to the Faith FM Breakfast Show this morning with Rick and Mon. It is time for our quiz, Rick. Time ah, to engage the their brain cells. Quiz. Yep, our pentathlon quiz. As we all know how it works, each point gets harder. And, um, each point, each quiz question gets harder and more uh, worth worth more points as we go along. So from 100 down to 500. And the prizes um, increase in how great they are as well. So we start off with a bookmark and a bumper sticker from Faith FM, uh, an issue of Science Magazine, a pocket sermon, then the bargain book, and then last of all, the big prize is a book of the day. But if you wait to the end and get all the quiz questions right, you get all the prizes, all five prizes. So that's pretty special. Uh, You can text or you can call in, and Producer Show will keep track of your answers for you. Just let her know if you ever want to tap out and claim the prize that you're at. So, this is the first question. What was made of water and sunlight and was seen for the first time by the only eight people still alive after the flood? That's a good one. I like it. I like it. What was made of water and sunlight and was seen for the first time by the only eight people still alive after the flood? Wow. There you go. And it's pretty, it's pretty pretty. Pretty? Yesterday I almost bought a pair of roller skates. I had one of these on them, but I didn't. Got floral ones instead. <laughs> Give us a text or a call, 0491-064-669. Time for some good news. And boy, oh boy, do I have some good news for you. Do you like being outside, Rick? Love it. Yeah? Do you, go, do you get outside a lot? Do you have opportunities? I, I am a 
a green thumb. Oh yeah. We have a beautiful rose garden and a and a, and a great veggie garden. Love it. Oh nice. Do you know that gardening is the world's most popular hobby? I I'm so glad of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a black thumb. Anything I touch just dies. <laughs> People sort of think they've got to have some big rural acreage. Or you can do something in yeah. really small places. Even on a balcony in a city centre. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this is this is actually incredible. This is all about um, – they've done some studies about how the brain perceives mountain vistas or passing clouds or just beautiful outdoor scenery. And they say, how does the brain perceive these these scenes as beautiful? Mm. Um, like, for, for me as a Christian, I'm like, well, that's easy because God made it beautiful. Yeah. But for everyone else, they're like, how does the brain know that that is beauty and not ugly? And so they've done some studies and... Um, you know, we, we know already that the sight of beautiful landscape engages the brain's reward systems. There's a lot of science coming out now saying that it's actually good for your mental health and your physical health to go outside and look at nature. Um, but the, wondering how does the brain transform visual signals mm. into aesthetic mm. ones? How do we perceive these views as beautiful? So research team from um, the Max Planck Institute for Imperial Aesthetics has taken up this question and investigated how our brains proceed from merely seeing a landscape to feeling its aesthetic impact. And in their study, the research team presented artistic landscape videos to 24 um, participants and then using functional magnetic resonance imaging, which is fMRI, so it's it's a form of MRI, they measured the participants' brain activity as they viewed and rated the videos. Wow. So this, the author of the study, he says, we would have expected the aesthetic signals to be limited to the brain's reward systems, but surprisingly we found them already present in visual areas of the brain while the participants were watching the videos. The activations occurred right next to brain regions developed, deployed in recognising physical features in movies, such as a layout of a scene or the presence of emotion. So um, mm. it suggests that the signals may reflect an early elemental form of beauty perception. So they said that when we see beyond our expectations, local patches of brain tissue generate small atoms of positive effect. So the combination of many such surprise signals across the visual system adds up to make for an aesthetically appealing experience. So even just the anticipation, like if you um, – everyone's seen The Sound of Music, right? You know, at the beginning of The Sound of Music when, like, she's twirling in the fields? Mm. And, like, before you even see that view, you have, like, the opening credits with the, with the, with the sky. Mm-hmm. So you, if you anticipate, mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. the music and the, and, the, and the opening credits anticipate you for yep. seeing that beautiful yep. mountain vista. At that point, your brain is already releasing already, rewards. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know you're going to – or maybe, like, when you're driving and you're driving through a familiar patch of road and you're going, I don't know, through a tunnel and you know you're about to hit out into, like, a beautiful meadow scene, yep. your brain's already like, yeah, yeah, it. woohoo, it's coming, it's coming. So it's incredible. Like, even uh, just the anticipation is doing you um, mental good. Um, a positive brain reaction yeah. is crazy. <laughs> so they've published this in um, Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. Um, so you can have a read on that if you want to jump online. Um, but this is really crazy because the results have potential applications in a variety of fields where the link between perception and emotion is important, such as clinical healthcare and artificial yes. intelligence. Yeah. And this actually segues mm. into my second piece of good news, and this is all about um, getting moving outside for the um, uh, putting the brakes on early Parkinson's. Yes. Yeah, so Parkinson's disease is actually just growing and growing every year. It's quite scary. 
Um, but the new study suggests that people with early stage Parkinson's disease who regularly got one to two hours of moderate exercise twice a week, like walking or gardening, may have less trouble balancing, walking and doing daily activities later. And the exercise is compounded as being better if you do it outside. So better than just doing it inside. Yeah. Like often like a bit, treadmill or something. Right, because, you know, the stuffy air and that kind of stuff. So if you actually get outside in nature, you combine that visual aesthetic, you know, release on your brain, that, that positive release on your brain with the exercise and you have like this magic combo that God put, you know, put in place for us and it's helping prevent um, Parkinson's and helping um, relieve later on symptoms. So the researchers found that those who exercised regularly over five years did better on cognitive tests and had slower progression of the disease in several aspects. Wow. Yeah, so they're really excited. They said our, um, our results are exciting because they suggest it may never be too late for someone with Parkinson's to start an exercise program to improve the course of their disease. So not just prevention, but also if you've already got it, you can actually start exercising and, and, um, and get some benefits. So this was done in Kyoto University in Japan. Um, in correlation with the American Academy, sorry, Academy of Neurology. Um, and they said that because we found that to um, slow progression of the disease, it was more important for people with Parkinson's to maintain an exercise program than it is, was to be active at the beginning of the disease. So that's actually really quite incredible. So they, they looked at 237 people with early stage Parkinson's. They had an average age of 63 and they mm. were followed by the researchers for up to six years. So this study was quite a long study. Well, um, the participants' exercise levels at the start of the study were determined using a questionnaire that measures time and intensity during the previous week of leisure activity, like walking and biking, household activities like gardening, and occupational activity like taking care of others. So common cognitive tests were used to measure people's verbal and memory skills and how much it took to complete mental tasks. So it's not just, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, balancing and, um, and going out for walks, but also like your cognitive mental tasks as well. Uh, researchers found that people's physical activity levels at the start of the study was not associated with the progression of their Parkinson's later on. Instead, they found that it was more important to maintain physical activity over time. So keep it up. Get out there, get going, and then keep it up. People who got at least four hours per week of moderate to vigor vigorous exercise, like walking or dancing, had slower decline in balancing walking five years later mm. compared to those who did not get much exercise. This is really important, and it's such an easy thing to do and enjoyable. Yeah. Hey, and if you combine your two little stories... Exactly! ...and you can't get outside, but you need a treadmill or something inside, put a nice video of nature on oh, or something. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> because they did find that even if it's artificial uh, yes. um, beauty, it's beauty. still got, yeah, it, just with some nature on. You can get all kinds of fancy treadmills that take you for walks all around the world. I did one recently where I walked um, through the glaciers of New Zealand all while at the gym, so yeah, check that out. And I've got one last little story that I can't wait to share. This one involves you getting out your phone and doing a little bit of Googling. Search Goldie the puffer fish. Did you know that puffer fish can get their teeth done at the dentist? I didn't have no idea. This is so cute. I'm going to show you a picture in a second. So a puffer fish in England was recently rushed to an animal dentist to have her teeth sawed in half after they grew so long that she was unable to eat. And so she was losing weight because of her giant teeth. 
And so they rushed the five-year-old fish to the vets who sedated her by filling her water bowl with a mild aesthetic solution. <laughs> and then they chopped her teeth in half. And look at her smile, Rick. She is just so cute. I never thought I'd say a puffer fish is adorable, but come on, that's so cute. It, it's like a person with calculus. <laughs> it's so adorable. Goldie the puffer fish, you there have you to check this out. They held her in a special towel so that she wouldn't have that reaction that makes them blow up like twice their size. <laughs> Love it. I didn't even know animal dentists for fish existed. But there you go. Goldie the Pufferfish had dental work and she's so cute. Check out her new smile. Have a smile yourself. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. You are listening to the Faith FM Breakfast Show with Rick and mine. It is time for our pentathlon quiz's second question. Are you ready for this, Rick? Yes, we're ready to go. What famous half-brother could, be, could the brothers Simon, James, Joseph and Judas claim? What famous half-brother could the brothers Simon, James, Joseph and Judas claim? That's kind of that's tough. a good one for a second one. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like that's uh that's maybe one of the one of the hardest ones. Man, I'm kind of nervous about where this quiz is going to go. That's the second one. I can't imagine how hard the last one's going to be. Good question though. Yeah, great uh, question. Give us give us a text zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. You could be up for some prizes with that one. Tell us, Rig, what is happening around the world? Any news coming out from anywhere on the planet at all? Well, I there's so much news that we hear. Boom, 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 boom. Everyone mm. has apps, I think. I don't know how you do your news, folks, but I have apps and um, selected apps, and I just go from one to the other, and there's so much news around with all, all the time. But I, I can I share some positive news? Yeah, absolutely you can. Um, I read a book a number of years ago, 2007, I think it was, it was um, published, called The Spirit Level. And folks will know that a spirit level, we have one in our caravan, a spirit level allows you to balance mm. uh, so you get the right the right balance. Yep, it's your level. You the level, it's a levelling mm. thing. So um, um, sometimes I think I need one. <laughs> um, and so this book, this book's called Spirit Level, was basically researching countries around the world on a number of indices to see how healthy they were. Oh. So economic, uh, social welfare, justice, oppression, all of those factors. Um, I've read some of the reviews. You know, like any book that gets out there published, you'll have critical reviews, not negative, negative, but but looking at the data, et cetera. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. basically what they found out was that the Nordic countries scored highest across the board, your Sweden, your Norways. Mm -hmm. What I just found was, um, which is really interesting, the challenges humanity faces at the moment, like climate crisis, da 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 da, the latest social progress index, which is a longitudinal study, has been able to measure the success of 168 nations. Yeah, wow. Since 2011, they've been doing this annually. Researchers responsible for the index use indicators such as quality of healthcare, personal safety access to education, access to technology, rights, human rights, Mm -hmm. quality of the environment, and they give a score for each nation. So, Mon, just a guess. Hey, this could be question number (laughs) six on our... (laughs) Is the score like out of 10 or out of 100? Yeah. A decade after it was launched, the index has just published its latest findings. And the verdict, Norway is the world's most progressive nation across a number of indices. And what's interesting is... This is now, I'm finding this is sort of 
complementing research that was done 20-something years ago that said the Nordic countries are again. Um, is the Norway with Finland and Denmark ranking second and third respectively. The United Kingdom was placed 18th and the US came in at 24th. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Do you, overall, 140 na- nations recorded a better score than they did a decade ago with only four, the US, Brazil, Syria and South Sudan, going the other way. Oh, really, Brazil? So... Um, Despite this overall picture of progress, here's the flip side. Mm -hmm. The report authors found that the world is declining significantly on personal rights. So this fits in with some of the uh, interviews that have been going on here, you know, with, yeah. Mm -hmm. So in some sense it's going up, in other ways it's turning the other way. While not universal, the authors suggest that this trend is apparent across all regions and levels of social and economic development. Yeah, I would say that's the result of woke culture right there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's some yeah. big issues going. Um, uh, what, where do you think? I'm just looking for where Australia ran. So can I just give you the, uh, yeah. the 25 countries that people might yeah. be interested in this? Um, I'm actually not hugely surprised that Norway is the top. If I had to guess, I would have I would have thought something Nordic would be towards the top. I mean, because like every year they have that... Um, you know, best place, in the, best city in the world to yeah. live, and usually it's it's Melbourne, but like all the Nordic ones follow pretty close behind. Yep, yep. it's really interesting. Rising income usually brings major improvements, but mm-hmm. not necessarily happiness. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, no. Those correlations don't. Some you know, and yeah. I, I think um, I think biblically we can understand that, that, that's, that right. that's the case. So Norway, Finland, Denmark, Iceland, uh, the Nordics, and then Switzerland comes in at fifth. Canada six, then Sweden, Netherlands, so they're in the top eight. Six out of the top eight of the Nordic. Japan, Germany, Australia comes in at 11, and our Kiwi counterparts come in at 12, even though the Kiwis were voted as the most romantic language um, accent a year ago in the world. In the world. Romantic's not a word I would have used, but okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ireland, Austria, Luxembourg, and then uh, down at 24 and 25, t- respectively, United States and Portugal. Oh, Portugal. So well, they've got all that sunshiny coast. So. Yeah. yeah. So, look, it's just it's just an interesting study. Um, what, what, what sort of fascinated me, not fascinated as a word that struck a sort of a chord, resonated was that... Some indices showed improvement, others a marked decline. Yeah. And oppression yeah. and human rights is one of those that is going backwards. That is kind of scary. It is. Yeah. And we, uh, we, you know, yesterday was Australia Day and there's, and I, I, I was, I was uh, that's the other part of the story, I guess, is looking at the news and a lot of folk are saying, um, are, tr- are struggling with past history like most a lot of countries are. Mm. What do we do with that? And I read a statement, um, stop and reflect. Mm. We can't change our past, but we, we can recognise where we've been in that place and not repeat it. That's right. Um, wh- what concerns me, I guess, a little is um, in a number of countries in the world, we are simply repeating those things. Yeah. We haven't learned from our past. So let's recognise where we're doing things that aren't healthy for our communities um, you know, we had the sorry story, and 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 um, but I, uh, you know, Australia that, that that's a political thing. I'm not going to get get mm. into that. 
But underlying that for me is a community response to who we are, where we are, what we're doing, and how we respond to grievances in the past that we can't go back and change. But the litmus test for me is, in our response to that, what are we doing now? And how are we going to approach our future with that? Yeah, how are we moving forward? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm actually I'm keen to know where uh, the Kingdom of Bhutan was sitting on that list because Kingdom of Bhutan is, is often the country that's um, listed as being the world's happiest country because their government has their um, uh, G, uh, GDP, gross national happiness. What's that? Oh, yeah. GNH. So they actually have a, a branch of the government that um, is um, constantly working towards finding out what makes their citizens happy and make sure that, that, it? that it takes place. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's um, it's always a country I've wanted to go because of that. So, yeah, I wonder whether or not that has factored into that study for them in terms of, you know, their human rights. Because often human, human rights is often the one thing that makes people happy. They don't realise it's making them happy until it gets taken until away. Until it's taken And that happens miserable. in life so much, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and then it doesn't matter how much money you have or how beautiful your country is. You or take it for granted. As soon as it's taken away, like everything just yeah. turns to, yeah. 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 Yep. So and I'm also surprised, just as a footnote there, that New Zealand was a romantic language because... Was it ro- is a romantic... The word, it, it's, it's a language... Surely it's, it's the French. Ac- the accent... No. French is not the most romantic-sounding language? I was told by a number of my Kiwi friends and reminded quite severely that they got number one. <laughs> of course they would. <laughs> I said, OK, let's get on the cricket. <laughs> I feel like they have to hold on to anything they get over there. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't Ooh. say that out loud. <laughs> no, I um, I think their accent's cool. I just wouldn't have put it down as romantic. I mean, come on, French, Italian, all uh, these, yeah. like, yeah. And yeah. this is a worldwide sort of, yeah. yeah. Maybe the French like the Kiwi accent. Maybe that's how they got the vote. It could be. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Welcome back. This is Faith FM Breakfast Show. You are on this morning with Rick and Mon. Yes, we are having a great time today. I'm going to read out some text messages before we get to our pentathlon quiz. Give your brain a minute's break. Uh, this is from one of our listeners sent in from Raphael. He said, vision and the brain, we are truly wonderfully made. Amen. Only God could have done this. So much for evolution that is like saying that artificial intelligence is happening by accident. So true, Raphael. Absolutely God made that. Um, definitely not yeah. that can happen by accident. Isn't it fascinating that the more we read in science and we and we let it filter through, mm. I, you, I can't help come to the conclusion that mankind can't create this stuff. Oh, it absolutely just, not. It just can't occur out of nothing. Yeah. There's just so much design in it. Like I yep. said, how can you say stuff happened by accident? Yeah. That's silliness. <clears throat> Anyway, our third pantathlon quiz question. (laughs) This is worth 300 points, and uh, if you get this right, give us a text straight away. Where did Abraham find a ram to sacrifice after God stopped him from sacrificing his son Isaac? Controversial story in the Bible. Where did Abraham find a ram to sacrifice after God stopped him from sacrificing his son Isaac? Just a clue. It was not on the M1. Hot clue there from Rick, not on the M1. <laughs> Give us a text, 0491064669, if you know that one. It's a good one. We shall have our guest interview today. Welcome to the show. Who is it today? Sven. Sven. How's it going, Sven? Is it Ostring or Oostring? It, it's Oostring, mine. But, um, that, that's all cool. We'll, we'll run with Sven. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I ask you this every time. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. How are People you, Sven? People always go to my... 
Yeah, really good. People always go to my name and go, oh, what is it? Is it, is it this way or that way? <laughs> <laughs> At least they have a pretty good option like, you know, to, to actually pronounce it because spelling-wise it's, it's pretty easy, but for my name they just look at it and go, um, how do you say that? <laughs> it's mine like How are you? Good to hear Good to hear your voice, Ven. Yes, it's yes. Rick. Well, yeah, Rick. Uh, and one this morning, what we want to dive in today is the mathematics of God. Oh. Um, so, so normally, normally we don't necessarily think about mathematics of God. Normally, we sort of think about God. You know, um, God's in the Bible. God's God's a church. You know, we pray to God. Mathematics is kind of in those textbooks, you know, school, university, whatever. And But there's a really fascinating connection between mathematics and God. And, and one of the really interesting things, and so this is a bit of a sort of uh, cliffhanger kind of um, uh, tantalizing kind of teaser, but um, Eugene Wigner, a mathematician, wrote a paper called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. And, and mathematics is actually a powerful... Uh, pointer and an argument for believing in God, but we won't, we will we'll sort of make it a bit more personal, and, and we're not going to talk just about uh, the the argument for God. We're actually going to talk about the mathematics of God, the the, the mathematics of God Himself, mm. which I find pretty cool. So, first of all, what we need to to understand is that the Bible, from its start, is very strongly um, based on the idea that there's only one God. There's, there's only one true God. So in, in Deuteronomy uh, verse, uh, 6 verse 4, you find a very famous um, uh, Jewish statement of faith, which is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yeah. And um, then even Jesus himself, when he was uh, you know, conversing with his, uh, with, with his Father in heaven, he said, and this is eternal life, they may know you, the only true God. So, so Jesus was a monotheist. Jesus yeah. believed in the one true God. And then we go to, to Paul, a great missionary and, and theological teacher as well. And he said, for us as Christians, uh, believers, followers of Jesus, there is one God. So, so monotheism or the idea that there's one God is, is very, very strong. And, and Jews would, would shall I say even die for for this uh, belief in amongst all of the polytheism which occurred in Egypt and and Babylon and all of those other places as well. So I wanted to dive in. What what's the reasons? Why would we believe that there's one one true God? Um, one of the the most popular arguments is this: is that when we look at the world around us, we see a a fundamental unity. Um, so there's one set of laws of physics. Uh, there, there's a, a consistency. Uh, you know, the sun rises, the sun sets, all of those kind of things. And um, that is what we'd expect if there was one God who created this whole world. Uh, if there if there were sort of multiple kind of designers and creators, we would tend to to see you know a bit of a patch of physical laws over here, and over here a different set of laws, and it would be kind of like competing cosmic regions, if I put it that way. Mm. Uh, but we don't see that. We, we see this this fundamental unity. And that that unity, the, the, the fact that the physical laws um, right across the, um, the world is actually the basis of science itself, uh, that we can 
we can you know assume that we can work with that. It's very very important. There's another reason why we want to believe in monotheism or just the one true God is this. If, if there was multiple gods, then the question would be, which one is the greatest? Uh, you know, are they all sort of, uh, you know, um, have similar kind of power? Then who do we choose? Who do we, who do we kind of follow? But what we see um, is if we look at it from a philosophical, logical point of view, there is one um, God who's the greatest, who has power, over everything, um, and and we worship the one true God. All of the other gods are actually false. So, so there there are powerful reasons to to believe in the one true God, uh, and not to be polytheistic and and worship all idols, which are all false and don't have any power anyway. So, so that's a really important mathematics of God, the number one. So, but then. When we come to the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus kind of surprises us, uh, which is truly amazing. So, you know, and this is what the disciples, the, the friends of Jesus found, is that they, um, you know, they were there when John the Baptist baptized him in the River Jordan, and then they started to follow him, and then they're going like, wow, who is this person? There's two. You know? <laughs> um, you know, he, he heals the sick. He restores the sight of the blind. Mm. Um, one day, he, he was in the boat and uh, out on the, the lake of Galilee, and uh, they were rowing away, and this this sudden storm comes upon them. And even though they're fishermen, they're, they've lived on the sea, the, the lake all of their lives, you know, they're terrified. Uh, and and they, they cry out, you know, um, Lord, don't you care about us? Why, you know, why don't you save us? And he stands up and he says, peace be still. And, and the wind dies down and the waves die down. And they're just absolutely shocked. Like, who would have control over the, the elements, as we'd say, to be able to do that? I mean, you know, Rick, I, I, um, I'd invite you to go down to, to Lake Macquarie or down to the beach and stand on the beach and go, like, Peace, be still, and the waves stop. You know what I mean? I tried that in the islands when we lived out there in a boat in rough seas. It just didn't work the same. (laughs) But you know, you know, if you if you saw somebody do that, oh, you go, you know, you go, what on? Who on earth is this person? And and Mark, uh, the first biographer of the life of Jesus, actually records that the people in the boat remember they're sitting there, sort of. Um, you know, the middle of all these waves and, and, and the wind. And, and they just fall down and worship Jesus and say, truly you are the Son of God. And, and it continues on. And, and not only that, they see Jesus resurrected back to life. Um, and so they start to write these, these amazing things. John 1 verse 1 um, says, In the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, Paul writes, um, the Christ who is God over all, uh, blessed forever, amen. And then he also goes on later in Colossians, for by him all things were created. So Jesus is the, actually the person who um, created everything we see around us, the, the unity. So suddenly uh, what we find is this incredible revelation that, that the one true God actually consists of, shall I say, or is... Um, 
there's there's three persons. So we see this particularly in the baptism of Jesus. We see uh, the Father making the comment, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. We see Jesus coming out of the water, and we see the, the Holy Spirit coming as a dove uh, down uh, to, um, uh, you know, just fill Jesus. And even when Jesus left and um, he can go that great commission, mm-hmm. the great command. He, he said to his followers, go therefore and make disciples, you know, invite people to be followers of, of him, Jesus, baptizing them in the name, and the name is is what we call singular. It's, it's just one, um, but in the, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is this, this um, amazing mathematics where one God actually ha- um, includes, shall I say, or uh, th- th- there's three persons. The God is tri-personal. Um, and and that's, that's incredible. And so, so we might be going like, how does this work? Yeah. You know, why does one equal three? You know, you know what I mean? Yep. <clears throat> you know, uh, since when did our teachers at school sort of teach us, well, you, you know, you throw one, but, but it actually means three. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that's the kind of challenge we're talking about. <clears throat> the, the interesting thing is this, is that in the Bible, the word, word for one, which is Eckhart, um, actually doesn't, um, it's different from the Greek kind of concept. The Greek concept is one means one means one. Um, whereas, whereas the, the Hebrew understanding was, was one actually, means a unity, a, a fundamental unity. So um, God is, there's a unity, there, there's a singleness of purpose of being. But in that um, unity, you can have um, uh, three persons. So another really good illustration in the Bible is when uh, God talks about the first marriage. He says, "The you know, <clears throat> a man will leave his mother and father mm. and be united with his with his wife, Wonderful. and they will become one. Mm. That one is the same thing. It's that uh, that heart. It's it's the the unity. So uh, just like a couple can uh, be be one, so that you have a husband and wife are one. The same thing with God. God can be heart." It can be, there's a unity, there's, there's a singleness, um, but in that you have three persons. And that, that is really, really amazing. But you see also this in the book of Genesis where uh, it talks about how uh, there's evening and there's morning, there's night and there's day, and there's, that is one day. It's, it's a unity. So, so both evening and morning, two separate periods together form one day. So... So that, that's the mathematics of God. But I want to dive a little bit deeper, and I want to dive into it relationally as well. And that is this, is that the Bible tells us that God is love. Uh, I don't know about you, but the love always kind of just warms my, my heart. You know, I'm just really drawn to it. And in particular, um, if we go back in time, before the creation of this world, if God was only one person, that would have meant he would have been alone. Going all the way back through... Um, eternity past, and and so there would have been no sense of relationship. Now, if God is love, how can you experience love by yourself? 
You, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And 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 so uh, for God to be love, what that means is there's an intrinsic relationship in His very identity, mm. in His very existence, and that relationship is within um, it occurs uh, within the, the the Trinity, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so. Um, what we see here is is a deeply personal, deeply relation, uh, relational, a, a God of love um, who is united, Eckhart, but has um, the tri-personal nature, which we see um, evidence for, powerful evidence in the life of Jesus. So for me, I'm just really fascinated by yeah. uh, by this mathematics of, of God, and I just it, it's a deep window into who God is and what he's like. Yeah, it's a great discussion, Sven, and, and, and there's been so much discourse and disagreement over the many, many centuries trying to understand God. I um, mean, the way mm. you put it, the mathematics of God, I've, I've never heard it that way, Mon. It's a great, it's great. way of yeah, sort of, I, like I was it. terrible at mathematics, yeah, but I got a bit scared of the <laughs> I can get a little bit more of an understanding of the way Sven's put it. Um, I love the idea of God. God, It's not an attribute of God at who he is. He, mm. he is love. Mm. And it demands, it demands more than the one in a sense, doesn't it? Because... Love has expression. Is that what a great way of putting it? Yes, yes, yes. And and the thing is this: if if God was was just one in the sense of one person, then then suddenly you've got um, a much more almost impersonal mm. personal God, mm. a much more sort of cold um, person. You know, just um, who you just need to to obey and and you know, follow uh, much more removed. Whereas what we see in the life of Jesus is is a God who is willing to come down and um, yep. walk with us, to dwell with us and, and to move into the neighbourhood. Great news. Um, so, Thank mm. you so much for joining us this morning, right. Sven. I'm not going to lie, you, no made me, you made me nervous at the start there when you said maths, but you won me over in the end. I've got one question, <laughs> Sven, before you go. Are you still playing the violin? I, I am indeed. I last night I was playing through the Beethoven concerto and also a bit of the oh. Mendelssohn concerto. Oh, there Sven, you go. when are you dropping an album? We need to play that on Faith <laughs> FM. You come in here with your violin next time and give us a tune. <laughs> Thanks so much. Sounds good. Take care. No problem. Take care. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.